Welcome to MedTech Talk, a weekly sit-down with the innovators, investors, and executives leading the MedTech sector. Now, here's your host, Tom Salemi. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the MedTech Talk podcast. I'm Tom Salemi, your host. We're uh, two weeks away from the MedTech Investing Conference. Uh, it happens on May 6th in Minneapolis. Uh, we've, uh, we're, we're looking at very strong numbers in attendance, uh, should surpass last year's uh, conference, and we're very excited to, uh, to be drawing a lot of people at a time when the MedTech sector overall is, uh, isn't at its strongest. So this, is, uh, this promises to be a great event. We hope you'll uh, register uh, if you already have. Thank you. If you haven't, go to medtechconference.com and take a look at our agenda. Uh, I think you'll find it uh, exciting, and I hope you'll join us uh, on May 6th. Our first panel of the uh, conference is called Setting Course. How does entrepreneurship fit in a value-based world? And what we tried to do with this and with other discussions at the conference is really look at how the uh, how innovation itself, the creation of new companies, of new medtech companies, has become increasingly challenging in a healthcare world where we're looking at value-based medicine and the rise of private pay. These are all new dynamics that, uh, that medtech entrepreneurs need to take into account when they're creating new technologies and new companies. So today's MedTech Talk podcast guest, Hanson Gifford, he's managing partner of the Foundry, uh, certainly knows uh, about innovation and, and knows how to uh, adapt. Uh, he co-founded the Foundry in 1998 with an eye toward innovating innovation. Uh, they wanted to create a system to develop new exciting MedTech ideas they wanted to partner more closely with the venture world, and they worked with some of the best. In over 17 years, foundry companies have generated some of the more lucrative exits in venture capital, and they've employed these companies have employed hundreds of people, and uh, and their technologies have consistently pushed uh, the limits on on new therapeutic technologies, finding innovative new ways of treating disease, and that's really what we're all trying to do here. So today we'll talk with Hanson about the Foundry's history, its innovation philosophy. We'll also talk about new ventures like Fire One uh, in Ireland, and we'll revisit uh, last year's bump in the road for renal denervation, which of course uh, came when Medtronic reported some disappointing news about the renal denervation technology it acquired when it purchased Ardian, which was a Foundry company. Gifford actually has some interesting comments uh, to share about Medtronic's response to those disappointing clinical trials. We hope you enjoy this conversation. All right, Hanson Gifford, welcome to the podcast. Well, happy to be here, Tom. Great. We've, we've uh, had the pleasure of speaking with you for, gosh, probably 15, 16 years or so. We first met back uh, at the Foundry uh, headquarters. Uh, gosh, are you in the same place you were back in 98, 99? <clears throat> we moved actually nine years ago. Well, it sounds like a long time even think of that. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, yeah, no, we're uh, we're pretty much where we've always been. How you, how have things changed for you though? I mean, they've changed in a lot of ways. The foundry itself uh, is sort of uh, uh, has taken several iterative, iterative forms. Uh, you've kind of innovated the innovation process. You started off with uh, working directly with venture funds, getting some capital in advance, and then there was more or less a, a program where you were. Still working with venture funds directly, but uh, working uh, in cooperative uh, fashion with them to get the funding as you needed it. What what shape does the the foundry take today? What is your relationship with the venture world? Yeah, so uh, 
we started off, uh, Alan and Will actually lined up uh, an initial fund of about $4 million, uh, and we used that to start uh, the first four companies. Wow. <laughs> and uh, shared the equity in those, which worked out all right, given that uh, Evolve and Concentric were, were part of that. And then we, uh, <clears throat> we decided that rather than starting from scratch and trying to finance each company, it would be better to have the, the VCs involved earlier on and evolve to a structure where we formed a company, funded that company with a significant uh, seed or Series A round, uh, 3 to $5 million from, uh, from venture capitalists, and then work together to figure out what that company was going to be uh, with a consulting relationship between that company and, and the foundry itself. Uh, and uh, that has been our model for uh, ever since. So for over 10 years, most recently, as there are fewer uh, VCs directly involved in very early stage medical device investing, we, the latest uh, evolution of that model was to bring in Covidian as a, uh, an initial investor. And now that's Medtronic, of course. Uh, so they are one of our three funders, along with Lightstone Ventures, a group that has uh, come from the medical device and life sciences teams of Morgan Thaler and ATV. And the, the third investor is NEA. But it's still the same model where we form a company, fund it, and uh, then uh, define what that project's going to be. The one of the areas where you're, uh, you mentioned those three teams, and, and I immediately thought about your, your move into, uh, into Ireland uh, yeah. with Fire One. It did, and it's received a lot of, uh, a lot of attention, and, and rightfully so. Uh, is that uh, the venture in which you're speaking of, or, or yeah. is that just the Irish, Ireland uh, based <laughs> version of, of the foundry overseas? Nope, nope. For several reasons, uh, we did decide to make Fire One an Irish company, and it is the latest new company. It's the 15th new company at the foundry itself. Uh, so it has a lot in common uh, with, with our prior new companies, the two differences being that it's in Ireland and it has investment from a strategic investor from the very start. And actually, that uh, comes along with a uh, uh, an option to buy that company from from Covidian Medtronic. It's been a, a year since that was first announced. Uh, has Fire One taken on a more definitive shape? Uh, we're actually still in the process of of selecting the project. It's been a a fascinating process, very educational process, to spend time with some of the different divisions of Covidian and now Medtronic talking about their key interests. Uh, <clears throat> what are the strategic goals that they're trying to meet, the, the, the holes in their portfolio, and, and then try to identify a, a great opportunity that, that really fits with one of those. So uh, we're, we're getting closer to, to picking a project uh, and, and uh, I remain optimistic that this will uh, be a uh, a model that could really work. The deal sort of uh, really represents what we're seeing uh, in, in how medtech innovation is changing the the 
the cooperation uh, between VCs and entrepreneurs and strategics is, as far as I can tell, has never really been been tighter. Uh, what has that done for the uh, for the system or for the method of, of innovation? Does it help you be more innovative, sort of knowing uh, what a strategic needs and perhaps what an end game would be, or uh, does it sort of limit you in a way? You know, knowing that you need to create something that does this for that company, and we merely have to find—not merely—we have to find an innovative way of, of doing that. So in terms of the creative process, it, it really is a, a new constraint. Uh, in the past, we're looking at, you know, across the board, big clinical needs, and then trying to find a solution when, within one of those needs that, that really brings a dramatic improvement to the standard of care uh, in terms of, of outcomes for the patient, uh, ease of use for the, for the physician, and uh, and now more increasingly uh, the the overall cost to the healthcare system. So trying to uh, find really great new opportunities uh, across the board is is tricky enough. If you add in the constraint of it has to fit in with the strategic imperatives of the different divisions of a major company, does does add one more one more limitation. Uh, and and really, I think. The you know doctors don't need don't know what they uh, what they want until uh, until you show it to them and they say wow that's cool I do want that but I never would have thought of it and a little bit the same with with uh, with strategic companies they don't know what new ideas are possible until you see them so uh, it's uh, it, it may be that that we really do fit right within one of the specific areas that they uh, are looking for, or it may be that we identify a great idea and they say, "Well, gosh, that wasn't on our list, but but we love it. Let's let's pursue that." Mm-hmm. That's a great observation. We'll, we'll follow up on that uh, on that thought right after these messages. To register for the MedTech Investing Conference, visit medtechconference.com. While you're in Minneapolis, plan to attend our inaugural Payer Provider Venture Summit, a first-of-its-kind meeting targeting the hospitals and insurance companies leading healthcare reform. Go to ppvsummit.com. And we're back. Uh, Hanson, and that sort of that example really illustrates, I think, what we're trying to get at with uh, the first panel at our MedTech Investing Conference, which you gracefully, graciously uh, agreed to appear on, uh, just looking at the, the the change in the innovative process, it seems to me, perhaps romantically, that there was a time where you know, the engineers would hole up with their surgeon friends in a garage someplace and come up with this amazing new device. And I know I'm I'm probably exaggerating a bit. Uh, in terms of the process, but today it, it, it's more of a, um, a cooperative effort, not only between the creative minds and the clinical minds, but also the, the entities that may someday either use or, or sell that device, including uh, consumers. I mean, consumerism is is found its way into medtech and really has to be uh, paid attention to if you want to ensure uh, a device's long-term success. What 
how how has the the innovation process changed for you over that time and and how is it working with all those different voices now in your head well I, um I don't think the innovation process has changed that much. Just boil it down. It's still uh, look identifying a, a, a novel physiologic pathway and then coming up with a novel technology that uh, capitalizes on that physiologic opportunity. And, and that hasn't changed. Uh, it is, as you say, usually a physician bringing the physiology and a uh, and an engineer bringing the technology, although, my goodness, there are, there are a lot of brilliant physicians who trained as engineers and a lot of uh, engineers who have been in the uh, medical device world so long that they begin to, to see potentially physiological opportunities as well. So, so I don't think that part has changed. And I think, as you mentioned, the, um, you know, needing to bring the financing part into it and, and think through the financing structure start to finish rather than just getting started and trusting that if we build it, investors will come. That That is, is, is a little different. Uh, uh, I think still people get a, a great idea and get excited about it and they still say, you know what, we just need to pursue this and we'll be able to persuade people to, to pony up the money. And that still is really, I think, how it feels. But our, our medical device industry has seen a dramatic reduction in venture capital coming in at the early stages that, that made that feel more predictable. Uh, you know, as I say, people who, who identify a great idea still find a way, whether that's angels, super angels, strategic money, uh, you know, money coming from foreign sources. It's, um, it's, it's a matter of finding a way. Do you think the, the, the really great ideas are, are still getting funded? And perhaps it's the ideas that, um, I don't want to use the, the me too tag, but Perhaps yeah. there, are, there are fewer ventures getting funded, but the ones that need to get funded are getting funded. You know, as, as, as the, the, the money is, is little less available, yeah, that, you kind of worry that, that the same, you know, random assortment across the board of, of companies will get funded and, um, and the, the quality won't improve. But, but I think actually the quality of the, the ideas that is getting funded has improved significantly. You know, there are, there are fewer Me Too companies getting funded, and uh, uh, and there aren't six of, of any idea getting funded right off the bat. You know, as ideas, uh, certain specific uh, clinical areas get more exciting, there are more entrants. There are perhaps 10 efforts pursuing mitral valve replacement right now. Still many companies uh, pursuing... Uh, renal denervation and other ways to uh, to address hypertension with an intervention, uh, just to name two examples. But uh, it does feel like uh, there are fewer me-tos, there are fewer uh, complex devices which bring incremental uh, clinical benefit. Uh, and 
you mentioned somewhere in, in your uh, one of these questions the idea of consumer medicine and and that is is really having an impact really from two directions one is is the aesthetic world if you will and and ophthalmology both having a long history of, of being patient pay uh, products and then also uh, digital health which is you know maybe a, an app on your iPhone, but more and more a combination of a, either an implanted or a wearable device with uh, the connection to the internet, the ability to share information, store information that dramatically increases the power of those things. So both the uh, aesthetic ophthalmology and uh, uh, and digital health opportunities are creating a, a consumer-focused uh, sector of the industry that is, that is really exciting. And how, do you, how does the Foundry handle the, the digital health aspect? Have you brought in uh, folks? Have you need to, did you need to bring in folks with sort of an understanding of what was possible with that type of technology? Or is it really quite intuitive and, and the folks you already had on hand were able to incorporate digital technology uh, when it needed to be incorporated into your uh, devices and ideas? Well, the, the foundry itself is, is a very lean team. Uh, it's myself, Mark Deem, Jeff Granger, who is uh, engineer, inventor, as well as patent attorney, and Carol Liebig handling all of our finance, admin, HR, etc. And uh, we're uh, <clears throat> adding to that uh, Andrew Cleland, who has been CEO of Ardian and now 12, and uh, John Morris, who's been involved with a few different uh, foundry companies in the past and is currently leading uh, development at 12. So we haven't brought in anybody to focus specifically on the, uh, on the digital health opportunities. We've, we've been looking at those, and I think as we, as we identify one that we want to jump into, I'm, I'm sure we'll bring in people who have uh, more talent in that space. We mentioned we've been talking about the role of consumerism. Uh, how do you incorporate those forces into your innovative process? What, what steps do you take at the foundry to really understand uh, how the, the role of the patient and the consumer can uh, impact the success of a, of a device that you're creating? Tom, I think we, we try very hard to look at exactly how each new device or therapy is going to impact physicians and patients and and the payers and if the payer is uh is the consumer then uh that that's one less group to uh, to think about but it also means that uh the project really has to uh make economic sense uh to the, to the consumer. And fortunately, there are a lot of projects that fit within that, uh, not just in aesthetic dermatology and, and uh, plastic surgery, but also ophthalmology and, and more and more in, uh, in other uh, traditional areas of, of medicine, as well as the whole world of digital health, where there's a blending of, of the, the wearable devices, the connected uh, sharing of information, 
and, uh, and the op opportunity to really impact diseases in a non-invasive way by modifying behaviors or, or by monitoring uh, uh, healthcare status. There, there is a lot of a, a, a lot of opportunities out there in, in private pay, and it seems to be an area that most uh, many venture capitalists like to, to talk about. Uh, you mentioned earlier on um, renal denervation, and of course, you know you had, I think, the first company uh, in this space, Ardian, that tried to use renal denervation to to uh, to adjust to hypertension to lower hypertension. That, of course, uh, ran into uh, some problems uh, after its acquisition by Medtronic. I saw you at J.P. Morgan last year when the news first came out, and you, know, you clearly could see the disappointment on your, on your face. Uh, it's been a year and change since then. Uh, the, the story's taken a few turns. What's your take on the, the latest um, attempt for Medtronic to supposedly do a, a do-over on renal denervation? Is this what you were hoping that they would have announced uh, a year ago, uh, or is this taking a direction that you're not entirely happy with? No, I'm, I'm, I remain absolutely optimistic. Uh, I am 100% convinced that renal denervation uh, works very well to address uh, uncontrolled hypertension in patients. And I'm very happy that uh, Medtronic and others are pursuing trials to, to prove that and to bring therapies forward to treat patients. When Medtronic made the announcement at J.P. Morgan, uh, I actually talked that evening to the head of, of public relations for Medtronic, and the message that they intended to send was not the message that was heard. We heard, it failed, it doesn't work, we're putting it in a box. And they uh, wanted to acknowledged that the trial had failed and uh, make the financial community aware that it had failed. But over the, the next uh, several months and more and more recently, they have reinforced the messages that they, are, they remain very positive on it. They continue to pursue projects. They've announced several trials recently, uh, both in patients who have no drug therapy, as well as in those patients who are uncontrolled despite drug therapy. And, um, and they've also acknowledged that the trial that they ran, uh, <clears throat> the design uh, of the trial wasn't, wasn't perhaps uh, uh, ideal, but it was pretty close. Uh, and, and the real failures came in the uh, medication management of those patients. You know, 40% of the patients in that trial had drug changes during the uh, measurement period, and a third of them had two drug changes during that time period. In addition, a big issue was the training of the physicians in the procedure, and in hindsight, a, a huge uh, percentage of the patients in that trial did not receive an effective renal denervation. So they're going back to, they've been very cautious to make sure that this time the, the trial is well managed in terms of both of those factors. And uh, just looking at the original trial, uh, or the, the trial which failed, with those two issues addressed, uh, the trial should be very successful. So I'm optimistic in the next year we will see more positive trials and, uh, and hopefully Medtronic leading that charge. Well, that would be great. I mean, it was such a high-profile story uh, for MedTech, and to see it uh, at least have that 
initial bout of bad news or perceived bad news. Uh, well, it was bad news, but perceived yeah. <laughs> fatal news. Uh, it'd be great if that were a turnaround story. And, and it's interesting yeah. to, to note that a lot of the Me Too companies, which we've talked about, uh, even if they had been acquired by strategics, they were sort of put on ice after that. And yet the first technology is still moving on strong and still showing some great promise. So, Yeah, hopefully it's just a two-year hiccup and uh, we'll be hearing in two, three years about how this is starting to really help an awful lot of patients. And final question. We've, we've talked about the, the, the history of the foundry. Uh, you know, you've made adjustments here and there to, to fit the times. Where do you see the foundry being in another five to 10 years? Is it, is it possible to, to remain a vibrant source of innovation for so long in med tech uh, and to, to keep finding new ways of doing things? Or, or, I mean, typically things like this have a shelf life and they, and they run their course. Yeah, well, it's been, been 16 years. Uh... And, and 10 years with Foresight Labs, uh, you know, the, the, the real fundamentals that we are a, a wealthy society and once you're, once you're ill, you don't want to buy anything or, or, you know, you don't need another house, you don't need another car. What you need is to, to feel better and people are going to be willing to put their money towards better solutions uh, we've come up with a lot of great uh, ideas as an industry, and the foundries had a couple of those, and uh, and we're going to keep coming up with more. Uh, and I certainly hope the foundry's part of that into the future. Uh, this is a lot of hard work and and moments of frustration, but also an awful lot of fun, uh, and uh, and I hope we're able to keep doing it. Excellent. Well, I hope so too. And I look forward to, uh, to seeing you in Minneapolis. Thanks for joining us there. Thanks, Tom. Have a great day. Thanks, Hanson Gifford, for joining us on MedTech Talk. And thank you all for listening. Uh, again, we're closing in on May 6th, the date of the MedTech Investing Conference. If you've registered, uh, it's going to be a great day. Thank you. We look forward to seeing you there. If you haven't, please just go to medtechconference.com. Take a look at our agenda. Take a look at our speaker list. I'm sure you'll find a lot to be excited about, and we'd love to host you in Minneapolis. Reminder, on the next day, we'll have the Payer Provider Venture Summit. Uh, for information about that, go to ppvsummit.com, and there we'll have uh, many of the leading hospital and insurer-based investment programs uh, on hand to talk about how they invest in med tech and other technologies. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in Minneapolis. Join the innovators, entrepreneurs, and investors who are changing healthcare at MedTech Investing Conference on May 6th in Minneapolis. The premier event in MedTech Investing will bring together the industry's investors, entrepreneurs, strategics, and regulatory professionals in one of the country's richest MedTech communities, Minneapolis. This must-attend conference will leave attendees with the insights and connections necessary to find their own sure path to success. To register for the MedTech Investing Conference, go to www.medtechconference.com.